Texas talking oh, What was that that you said? Texas talking oh, Gonna hoop up inside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas goes on I'm Jake Silverstein, the editor of the New York Times Magazine and the former editor of Texas Monthly. This past weekend, we introduced a major redesign of the Times Magazine, and we're very proud of it. I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for a redesign of the Tribcast for four years, but no luck. Oh wait, Reeves no longer doing it? Well, that's a good first step. Now here's the new host of the Tribcast, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, Jake. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the final week of February. I'm joined by Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Texas. You don't look like Reeve. What? Not today. <laughs> My hair's not short enough. Uh, Texas Politics Project Director and Trib pollster Jim Henson. Hello. Hi, Jim. And reporter Julian Aguilar. Hello. Hi, everybody. Um, so we are going to kick off today my inaugural Tribcast hosting by letting Ross and Jim just talk for half an hour about the poll. <laughs> um, it's your poll. Sounds, it's not my poll. Go ahead. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we had uh, basically our latest poll came out this week, and there have been a, a whole series of stories. Ross just can't seem to stop writing. Uh, so let's start off by talking about, about the horse races and a look at 2016. Who's going to go first? Go ahead. You just did. All right. Well, I, you know, the the marquee result in the horse races, and we really – one of those things we're really thankful for when the legislature comes to town and the elections are over. We really only had two. So we had results in the Democratic and, and Republican GOP primary – presidential primary for 2016. And the big headline there was that Scott Walker really came out of nowhere uh, to be – essentially statistically tied with Ted Cruz in, in first place. Cruz came in with 20, Walker had 19. Um, and, 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 I, and I think from a 27 to 2. Right. Lead and so, you know, I mean, the so two pieces of that are Cruz had really dominated these heats in the last, we had done three before this going right. back to last February. Cruz was ranging between, you know, I think 26 and 30, 31 even at his, at his high point. And the Walker votes really came almost entirely from Cruz. So... You know, if you break those down, we asked a nice second-choice question that ele- that enabled us to see how they clustered by saying, well, who would your second choice be? And there's a lot of conservative structure between Walker, Cruz, um, and Ben Carson. Right. You know, in terms of everybody, you know, was trading votes among those. A lot of people were trading votes among those three, suggesting that there is a kind of conservative block out there. In my view, Walker was really lucky in terms of timing. I mean, I We'll see a lot of cycling in these heats as, as the national media pays more attention, right? And people, people, people kind of go, "Oh, hey, mistakes him. and gaffes yeah. and yeah, right." I mean, so do we get any rationale then behind you know why people's opinions might be changing even at this early, early stage? They're just they're just soft right now, aren't yeah. they? I mean, it's not it's. I mean, they like Cruz. They still you know like him, but they're open to alternatives at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there hasn't been a lot of cycling up to this point. So I think what it is is like something new on the menu. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is, you know, looking at a 2016 race, at the 2016 races in February of 2015 is a lot different than October of 2014. Right. You right. Know, well, now, now it's the marquee race. The last time we were in the field, that was all kind of incidental to the general elections. Right. And right. at the end of the day, does it even really matter what Texas thinks? I mean, generally, you know. Yeah, because there's a financial oh, yeah. primary going on here. This mm-hmm. is this is the state where people are going to raise all their money, uh, first of all. 
And second of all, I mean, in a Republican primary, you know, Texas is a Republican state. And so in a general election, it's not in play, but it's certainly in play in a Republican primary if the race is still alive when they get to Texas, right? Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, looking at the technicalities of what's going on with the Texas primary, if we have an early Texas primary in which the delegates are awarded on a proportional basis, this jockeying could be telling us something as we go right. forward. Right. This is the proposal from the GOP to Rince Priebus, who's from Wisconsin, whose mm-hmm. governor is Scott Walker. Um, just a coinkydink. Um, but that <laughs> if you if you go before a certain date, um, you would apportion your votes in a primary, and if you go after a certain date, it's a winner take all. So winner take all. Right. All that matters is first place. If it's apportioned, you know this starts to get interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, what did we learn about our friend Rick Perry in this poll? Slip sliding away. <laughs> yeah, you know, Rick Perry's kind of, you know, has been very static in these polls for the most part. He he gained a few points. He was at 8%, I think, in this poll. He right. was at 11 last time. And I really think he got an indictment bump last time, I think. He was actually a little higher. He was 14 last time. Oh, okay, so even higher than that. Right. So, you know, and I think that came from their spirited defense of his right. indictment, which really put him back in a partisan frame you know, fighting, uh, uh, you know, the liberal persecution. Right. I think that helped him last time, but I think that was a bump that we're probably not likely to see again, You know, one, one way to read this is, you know, Ted Cruz is popular in Texas and Scott Walker's been in the news, right? right. Uh, to, uh, Rick Perry, to your point, hadn't been in the news like he was in October. Yeah. So th- there seems to be, you know, developing nationally and to, somewhat he- to some extent here kind of a cluster of conservative Republicans on one hand and a cluster of more establishment Republicans, on the other hand, and Perry's a little bit in between. But I, and I do think Walker. I mean, Walker benefits. Walker does have something that Cruz does not have, and he does have that experience as a governor. Right, answers Perry's complaint and, about Cruz. Right. Yeah, and I, and I think I think that does position Walker. All things being equal, positions Walker well to be the person that can be a legitimate candidate among the most conservative bloc that likes Cruz. But can also make the pitch that says, you know, I've made the trains run on time. I've been in the trenches. I fought the liberals in Wisconsin and won. And not coincidentally or not unimportantly, got elected in a state that it's hard for Republicans to win. Right. I mean, obviously still super, super early. Maybe yeah, it, maybe yeah. it bodes well for Rick Perry that his polling numbers are this low now because last time around his polling numbers well, were so high from the get-go. The the other guy that starred for Oxygen here in Texas is Rand Paul, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Fell quite a well. He fell a little bit. He's down to four percent now from seven percent. He's just not catching here yet. Yeah, and I don't want to you know disappoint the fundraising drive or Evan, but you <laughs> oh, know, go ahead, a lo- disappoint a Evan. The, uh, you know, a lot of the Texans that are in, in our big five Texan race are not are not really moving the needle very much. Yeah, right. for those of us dependent on them being in, yeah, the, in twenty sixteen. Yeah. Well, Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush. You know, we'll take mm-hmm. the the one who's sort you know we'll mostly from both. here and the one who's sort of from here. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. And on the other side, whoever whoever comes out of this, you know, looks like Hillary Clinton's the yeah the Hillary opponent. yeah Hillary Clinton dominates the numbers again. And you know, I mean, you can weaken. I, I think when we first looked at, it, I remember sitting in Ross's office and we looked at the second choices there, and it was split. Um, between Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, and we thought, ooh, that's interesting. But then you think about it, it's really not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If Hillary Clinton were to fall out of this race, the other also-rans would be a whole different field than we see right now. Right, so right now we're seeing the people who might be kicking the tires even with Hillary. If Hillary jumps out, you know, it's an open field, and all of a sudden we start hearing about governors from small states. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So something else in the news, obviously, (laughs) that has dominated the session so far, guns, guns and more guns, campus carry, open carry. What did we learn? Uh, Some pretty surprising numbers to me. What did we learn on uh, how Texans feel about this type of legislation? Well, before we fire away. What was surprising Whoa. to you? Jeez, wow. Henson, you can stick around. Trigger to wisecrack. Go ahead. What was surprising yeah, to I me? Mean, we, I mean, what was surprising to me is how divided Texans seem to be on on this issue that, again, is just like dominating the session. Well, this, the, the loudest part of this thing, or the noisiest, the headline generator here has been the constitutional carry folks who want to be able to carry guns anywhere with no permits, no licenses. and But it's only 10% of the electorate agrees with that position. So and that's a fringe spot. Right. The no guns ever, never, never, never is about 23%. It's largely made up of urban Democrats. Right. right. <laughs> right. Um, Which makes sense. I mean. Right. And, and you know, on, to some extent, that's a fringe. 45% said that they like current law, that they like the concealed handguns with licenses. And another 22% said that they would be open to open carry with licenses. So you can look at that and say two-thirds want current law or less. You can look at it and say two-thirds want only licensed guns concealed or open. Only one-third really wants open carry. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting about this is, you know, the the agitation by the open carry advocates and particularly the unlicensed open carry advocates um, I kind of don't really see constitutional in that label. Um, I feel like we're just accepting their message testing. But, um, you know, they have really reframed this de- the perception of the debate in the way that, you know, Emily's like, well, I'm surprised. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's not exactly anti-gun to say we're satisfied with the status quo in Texas right. where there's a fairly low barrier concealed carry uh concealed care permitted concealed carry law i mean that's but you know her, that's pretty sure. that's that's pretty but to pro her gun. point the perception of this was that it was so strong for open carry that even wendy davis came around for for open well, carry thank I you mean, ross ramsey for defending yeah. my views well, I don't, <laughs> well, well that's actually sort of interesting what prompted a wendy what prompted a wendy davis right. to jump into something like this if only a third of people support it and they're not democrats i mean that's i mean and that is sort of the point yeah. that we came into the session look at all this action around this this is you know everybody's right. you know big priority they've even got some democrats signed on you know again like ross said wendy davis decides in a questionnaire to say that this is something she supports yeah it tells me that either she wasn't looking at her poll or their polling was not asking the question. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to make this about Wendy Davis. Oops. But. Well, right. I mean, it's just interesting. I mean, you yeah. know, there was a perception going into the session that even Democrats were for this, that this was a widely popular thing that had reached all the way across the spectrum, even to the gubernatorial candidate. We can leave the name off of the yeah. gubernatorial candidate. I mean, I guess, I guess that is where that and came you, from. And then you come in and you look at the numbers and you go, oh, well, it's, it's unusual that they are that off. And again, not to, not to beat a dead horse here, but if you go back to the poll we did. You know what? Two years ago, after right. Sandy Hook, now you know there was a little. You could say there's a, prox. You know there was sort of the proximity of a of a shooting and a bad scene. But I mean, these numbers are not all that different from what we got then. Mm-hmm. And we didn't ask about open carry then. I don't, as I recall. But right. the but the more strict, less strict, leave the rules, leave the gun laws as they are now. Item is not that different than it was then, and that also reflects a status quo attachment to gun laws that, you know, basically you had a plurality saying, let's just leave it like it is. Yeah, 36% said leave yeah. it alone. 
36% said the gun laws ought to be more strict and 22% said they ought to be less strict. The the one that kind of interested me just because um, it's on the fence and it looks politically hazardous is campus carry. Right, where it's it's almost evenly split. Right. With, uh, you know, I think a slightly slight majority in favor. Is that right? Is that what we right. got? 47, yeah. 45 right. in favor so, and against. Yeah, stati- right. Statistically a tie. But I think going to this point, I mean, concealed carry uh, on campus, I think, is seen as an ex- a moderate extension of the status of quo. Right, what already people. exists. Basically, you can do what you can already do. You can just do it on campus. Right. I'm fascinated by the politics of it. We've split the chancellors. John, yeah, I know. John Sharp Amazing. at Texas A&M is for campus carry. Um you know, longtime hunter and, you know, outdoor type and kind of a gun nut. and um, Wants to hunt on campus, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah maybe. Uh, it's a big enough campus that could work. Um, and Bill McRaven, who most recently was the admiral in charge of the Navy SEALs, um, knows, as Evan likes to say, knows a little bit about a gun. And um, he thinks it would make the campuses less safe. So legislature sort of caught betwixt in between on the chancellors and then you look at the polling and you sort of say well you know voters could kind of slide either way yeah, well it's caught. roughly seven if you do it by party it's roughly 70 30 in each side i mean it's a little different that but so 70 dep- 30 in favor on the republican in, side yeah 70 30 in favor on the republican side 70 you know 30 70 if you will on the democratic side mm-hmm. and that may be more like 72 28 or something right like that, but. well let's hit one more high note in the poll and that is um <laughs> good <laughs> that's the best you got i can't hit those today <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little old. not exactly lady gaga sorry yeah. about my allergies right um <laughs> let's talk for a, a second about about immigration and border security and, and what we learned from the poll about you know where where texas priorities are right now as it relates to those two issues. And I may be, um, you know, scooping the poll a little bit. I'm not sure we've actually written this yet. So here you are. <laughs> I don't think we have, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's... So I'll, let, I'll let Ross say what he wants to say about what he hasn't written about, and then I'll comment on it. Uh, so it's you not know, me that blew it. Basically, you know, the sort of the leading issue here, there's two two issues kind of in front on this. Um, one of the leading issues is the tuition rates. And, and this seems to be where a lot of the political action has been. And it's the idea that, you know, in Texas, if you graduated from a Texas high school, you've lived here at least three years. Uh, you have the grades and the scores to get into a state university. You get in-state tuition. Uh, and if you've applied for citizenship or promised to, uh, then you get in-state tuition. Uh, completely uncontroversial when they passed it almost a de- or more than a decade ago. It went on its national tour with Rick Perry on the presidential race in 2012 and came back unpopular. And now it's a talking point for Republicans in particular and looks pretty unpopular in the legislature. Um, voters are split. In-state rates um, for those kids, 42 percent are in favor. Out-of-state rates, 43 percent. Um, but again, there's a big partisan split. Right. If you're a Republican, you're getting a clear signal from your voters. And if you're a Democrat, you're getting a clear signal from your voters. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans outnumber the Democrats. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that sums it up. And then, you know, there's a, there's still a strong strain of pro-border security, anti, you know, restrict, you know, and, and, and in favor of very restrictive views on immigration inside the Republican Party. And you see it really clearly in these numbers. We've seen it really clearly in the numbers for virtually the entire time we've done this poll. Mm-hmm. Well, and it looks like it's consistently sort of a top priority among the people that you poll. What are the issues that are most important to you? Yeah. You know? Border security is a, is a top priority, it turns out, with Republicans 
and with Tea Party Republicans, which we sort of distinguish in the poll. And uh, it's fairly popular with Democrats. Mm-hmm. If you talk about border security, right. that's a, it polls a little bit less as a xenophobic issue and more as a law and order issue. When, right. when you ask them, though, do you, do you lump in immigration and border security? Are those two separate They're issues? They're separate issues. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and because and what I'm getting at is that it, it seems that you guys separate those issues, but it's it's very rare that lawmakers do the same thing when they're when they're talking about about this issue. They, yeah. they did during the campaigns. Mm-hmm. They don't right. during they the legislative to, session. Right. Yeah, during the legislative mm-hmm. session, it's all sort of a cloud. Right. I mean, it's you know border security, in-state tuition, and exactly. yeah. unaccompanied minors all kind of go in the same sack in the legislature. Well, Julian, get us up to speed on where we are on border security in the legislature right now. Obviously, we're having a, a, a battle-ish over how much we want to spend and who wants to spend how much. So what's the lay of the land right now? Well, this, the Senate has uh, more than $800 in their, in their ask. And, um, $800? Eight, excuse me, $800. $800. <laughs> because everybody's going to have their own rifles and guns. So, you know, I don't need to fund it. Budget money. There's, a, there's, a, there's a jar on somebody's desk. They all just excuse drop me, a eight, bucket. $815 million, excuse me. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I don't, I think the, the leadership is pretty dead set on that. The House, on the other hand, has uh, less than half of that. Um, you got some folks upset that there are no border Democrats on the uh, Appropriations Committee um, for uh, the subcommittee on Chapter or Article 5, which deals with DPS and the military forces and things like that. So it's, it's because the d- border Democrats say what? We don't need to be in- investing in this kind of stuff? They see it, and that's, it's kind of like, like the poll on the guns. You know, you, the Democrats can't argue against a lot of funding for border security without looking like they're against securing the border. You know, Senator Hinojosa said over and over again, he's like, just because we're questioning the expenditures doesn't mean we're against border security. But the the Democrats are for the DPS surge, I guess, in its current fashion, uh, they're dead set against National Guard. Um, and the National Guard has been an issue because um, Major General Nichols had testified the last week or a week and a half ago that this deployment's been since August, and they're not usually used to these long deployments. They're, you know, in for seven days, natural disasters, get them home. Uh, so uh, Chairman Otto asked him, he said, you know, would this affect morale? And he said, yeah, but we'll still serve. A couple days ago, he had issues when uh, Senator Whitmire brought that up. He's like, no, you know, if I said that I was tired, but we're still going to serve, it seems like somebody said, hey, don't say that this is bad for morale because you guys are going to be down there for a few more months. Bad for morale meaning, like, they're exhausted, they they're, don't have the resources well, they need? and they or, can't yeah. do everything. They're not law enforcement. I mean, all they can do if they see right. something going on is call 911. Well, <laughs> and that's that's the thing. It's but so they're armed for protection. But yeah, they don't have any arresting powers. They're more, um, you know, the, the quote unquote force multiplier. So they see somebody, they radio to either border patrol or DPS. Right. They do have people surrendering to them, but again, they just turn them over. But bad for now because they're away from their families. Um, because I'm assuming the pay isn't that great. Because they have regular jobs that they need to get back to, and they have to take the leave of absence. I mean, you know, we all travel a lot for our, you know, for our jobs. You know, three, four days on the road is None a drag. More than <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, imagine being down there for weeks, months at a time. Right. But it is interesting how that issue has evolved in the legislature now. I mean, it, and you see, you can see the roots in public opinion to go back to the to the priorities item. Right. right. You know, when we at, we gave people a range of of things that might be priorities this session, and the top response among Republicans was funding for border security. Twenty seven percent of Republicans listed that as their top priority. Right. And the second was no new spending in taxes. And we're just seeing those two things colliding in the policy discussion here, I think, to some to some extent. Well, and it's also evolved into this weird throwing money at a problem <clears throat> sort of solution. You right. know, the, the DPS and the National Guard are having a hard time um, 
for some legitimate reasons, but having a hard time showing, you know, you put a dollar in and you get this out. There's not really a metric to measure this thing. Lisa Falkenberg at the Houston Chronicle did a really great column on, you know, they're putting all this money into this, you know, but there's not really a measurable result from it. John Otto was talking to the appropriations chairman in the House, was talking to Evan Smith at the Austin Club a week or so ago, and said that I'm not. His version was I'm not against border security at all, but there are cheaper ways to do it. Right. There are more efficacious ways to right. do it. One of the things he mentioned was you know you can put four thousand cameras down there for right. a couple of million dollars, right. and you're not blowing eight hundred million bucks. Yeah, and he's clearly locking arms with the speaker on that because the speaker right. had said the right. same thing the day before. And right. I think if you go up to the Republican legislature and say we have a problem, throw eight hundred million dollars at it, they will lose all their breath. But if you say the problem that we're talking about is border security, they're ready to write the check. Right. We had, I saw Brian Rosenthal at the Houston Chronicle had a story this morning about, you know, this internal DPS report showing that they're, you know, falling down on the job in other places in the state right. because they have so many, you I, know, I can tell you border. that I drove to Houston really fast last week and I, <laughs> I, I didn't see any black and white cars. Well, I went from Rio Grande City to Mission a few months ago and I saw, you know, 2025. They call them mapitas down there, the DPS, because of the logo. But, I mean, you can't, you can't go five minutes without seeing one either pulling somebody over or, you know, just coming the other way. But this this thing about, about measuring, th- that's not something that, that Colonel McCraw has been shy about. He's He tells the, the appropriations committees, like, look, I can... The DPS. Yes, mm-hmm. right. excuse me. Um, he said, I can bring in a bunch of bags of dope and put them on this table and say, we seize this and we can high-five each other. He's like, but there might be more coming, you know, coming while we're celebrating that. So how do, right. and that's Did a, he really that's say a, high-fiving each other? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Well, and that's cooler what they, than he looks. Right. Right. That's yeah. what they do. He's from El Paso, man. You know, yeah. That's what we did. They have um, where is where's Abbott on all of this? I mean, and, and is that <laughs> there were there were some shrugs around the room here for those of you who can't hear shrugs. He's for border security, right? And, Aren't they all? And you know, um, the the question is how much do you spend on it? and How do you deploy? So so the Senate lays down their proposal first. Mm-hmm. Which is Dan Patrick saying, I don't want the National Guard to come out as planned in March. I would rather have them stay and, in fact, would like them to stay through the next two-year budget. Right. So that's that's the expensive piece of this. That's that's one of the pieces of this that you go, you know, that's the mind-blowing $800 million number. The House comes back in and says, well, maybe you can keep them there until May, but we need to get them out because they can't do anything. The The National Guard people are saying – you know all the things you pointed out. Right. They're you know they're um, these guys are wearing out and they can't really do much. And uh, Abbott's budget lands, which he popped out at the same time as his state of the state speech last week, um, lands kind of in the middle. Says let's leave the National Guard down there as a transitional thing while we are hiring 500 new DPS troopers who can <clears throat> um, so that we can maintain the force on the border and you know start trafficking the roads between Dallas and Houston again. Uh, The problem with this, I mean, and back to McCraw, the problem with this is that it's very hard right now to hire troopers at DPS. They've they've had open slots for a long time, and they get poached by, you know, federal agencies that pay more, that have better benefits, that don't make you sit on the highway in Crane, Texas, waiting for cars going by faster than 80 miles an hour. It's just a more attractive job. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, speaking about all this spending. Obviously, we're hearing them say we don't have a problem, you know, throwing money at this particular problem. You know, at the same time, we're hearing all these conversations in the legislature around, you know, how to reduce taxes, cutting business taxes, cutting property taxes. Um, you know, what's what's the status on some of those plans? Uh, Ross, do you want to fill us in? 
House is in for $4 billion worth of tax cuts. The Senate proposed $4.6 billion worth of tax cuts. Always got to one-up the House. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the numbers matter less than the structure of the thing. And, and most of the property tax relief or whatever you want to call it is aimed at um, – most of the tax relief is aimed at property taxes. Some of it is aimed at business taxes. Business taxes in the polling were a lot less salient. There was something like uh, – Jim, help me out. There was something like two, two yeah. out of five – yeah. Voters said, I don't care about business right. taxes. People were really just pissed just, about their property taxes. Just didn't have an opinion, yeah. Right. Um, it was a little bit unpopular, but it was, you know, most people didn't really want to play on that one. Pop- property taxes are the most unpopular tax charged by state and local government in mm-hmm. Texas. And has a lot to do with, you know, the fact that values are climbing in a lot of the urban areas. And when your values of your house climb, your property tax bill goes up. Right. So the legislature's coming in with a proposal in the House, in the Senate proposal, it would take the exemption up to the to 25% of the average median house price it would basically be 200 to 300 dollars for most people in urban areas as property tax relief but it doesn't cap increase so they would come in and they would say so you get this much more property tax relief out of the exemption on your house but if the value of your house goes up by more than that then you'll have to pay it back and we just right. slowed the rate of increase right it's really, really hard to get a political handle on this, to get a benefit to people that they'll go, oh, yeah, my bill was lower. Right, right. I mean, I, Amon Bathija had a good story about that today, how, right. you know, legislators a, a few years back, you know, kicked property taxes, trying to get pe- people to really sort of feel that relief, and people didn't really notice. So now this time around, they're coming back trying to, you know, put in place some kind of reduction that people actually, voters actually notice. Part of the problem is that most people pay their property taxes in escrow on their mortgages, and so it just disappears into the bill. Right. If you're, you know, the 20 or 30 percent that pays, you know, writes a check every year Me. for your property taxes, um, then you actually see the numbers and you go, you know, most people aren't aware of the number until, you know, they're doing their taxes and, mm-hmm. they, and they plug that number in. And, and at that point, it's good news, right? Oh, I've got a big deduction. Right. But if you're actually writing a check in January, it's bad news because you're writing a check in January. Well, this, uh, this topic, you know, produced one of my favorite quotes so far of the political season. Dan Patrick was asked yesterday, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was asked how, you know, Abbott felt about his proposal. And Patrick said that, you know, Abbott and I are so close together, shoulder to shoulder, that you can't even get a piece of paper in between us. That's your favorite quote so far? Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like a creepy really? all visual. Those, all those quotes and really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, I, right. there, there. What he is... really meant was we're so cl- we're so close, shoulder to shoulder, that you can't even put a speaker between us. <laughs> That's what he really meant. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but you know, there is there is some signal that that you know Patrick they, he may not have everybody's support, including the support of all Republicans. Uh, you know, I think there was one at least uh, one Republican in the Senate spoke up yesterday, correct, and said, you know. Well, I'm not sure we're ready to. This is Kevin Eltife. Kevin Eltife basically said, you know, we have a lot of outstanding things we need to pay, a lot of facilities that need upgrades, you know, deferred maintenance. You know, let's not move too fast. He he also uh, chimed in on the board of security hearing as well, Senator Eltife. He said, you know, I know board of security polls well when you guys are campaigning. He's like, but you know, Christmas polls well in my house. He's like, (laughs) he's like, you know, we're just throwing a bunch of money at this. I mean, he got he got pretty fired up. Well, it is a ton of money, and you know, you're going to get to a point in this thing where the political passion has. Um, ebbed a little bit, and they're going to look up as a budget matter and say, why are we spending $800 million on this thing? And you can't show a difference between, you know, what we got for our $800 million and what we would have gotten anyway out of local police, sheriffs, Border Patrol, and all of right. the people who are already down there. That's what I meant about those priorities being in collision right. among Republicans. I mean, at some point, I mean, it, it sure feels to me like 
like Chairman Otto and the Speaker are in the sweet spot on this, where they're saying, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this for a lot less money, and we're going to use automation. Right, without human beings. Right. Although border cameras haven't exactly been, you know, worked swimmingly in the past. Well, it depends on, on, I guess, (laughs) are you referring to former Governor Perry's... Yes. Border cameras. Yeah. Well, see, if, if they take a page from Border Patrol, which, which that's what they do, they have these towers um, with cameras attached and they can watch them remotely. Um, and that, you know, obviously allows you to, to not have to fund, you know, the boots on the ground. But I think one go thing. find that copy of George Orwell. <laughs> <laughs> um, two things that are going to play out while the, the budget um, debate is going on on border security is uh, sanctuary cities legislation and in-state tuition. So, I mean, those I think those three issues are going to be woven in together. And at the end of the day, sanctuary cities might not pass, you, you know, probably receive the same fate it did two sessions ago, kind of just die in committee or on calendars. In-state tuition, I think, you know, there, there were way too many Republicans on too many gunboats po- taking pictures, you know, over the summer that they can't they can't not do anything with that. They, right. might, they might tweak that. Um, and I think on border security, I think the Republicans are going to get pretty much at least a good chunk of what they want. But $800 million yeah. is a ton of money. I don't think I, I mean, don't it think just tells you – part of what it tells you is how much money the state has available. It's just right. – I mean, they're phenomenally um, rich right now. Right. The state government has more money available to spend than any other – than most of the legislators are willing to spend. And, that's, and at the same time, you got, you got this uh, federal lawsuit, right. you know, on the Obama immigration thing, which could, you know, play out right. – a it's, a very, it's a very expensive set of headlines. I still think it's going to it's going to wind up closer to where the speaker is right now, and I think Abbott left himself some wiggle room. If you look at Abbott's references to what he wanted from that, right, he actually lays out two different goals in his speech, right. One, you know, two different benchmarks. One is kind of the way we were talking about it before, which is we'll remove we'll remove the national guard when we've hired all these guys. But right. then the other one in the next sentence, he says, when the legislation is, you know, when right. we agree upon a plan, we'll remove the National Guard. And those are two very different things. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think it's interesting how Patrick keeps sort of, you know, suggesting how closely aligned he and Abbott are, as as if to say that Strauss and Abbott are not, you know, as close, couldn't possibly be as closely aligned as as they are, it's it's strange politics, you know. And, well, and he said something the other day that like I more was perception really than reality. He told a conservative group that they're going to send a bunch of stuff over to the House early, and said, "I don't under this is Patrick talking. I don't understand the old idea of delaying and moving legislation slowly. I want to send a bunch of stuff over to the House. What that does is send over a signal that the Senate has voted for all of these conservative things, and if they don't pass, the House didn't pass them." It puts the Senate in a place where they don't have to be the responsible party. They can mm-hmm. say, I'm going to pass this knowing it's never going to become law. I never actually have right. to right. spend the money, but I can blame the House for not passing it. Right. And, we, and Patrick is completely and totally aware of that. And he's really good at it. Well, and we're going to see probably the first you know, real space between Patrick and Abbott this week when, we, you know, when the Senate gets to hear about uh, Abbott's regent appointments because the same guys who have backed Patrick and power Texans, Michael Quinn Sullivan, you know, are going to come after some of Abbott's, um, you know, appointees. And so that's going to show some daylight. At the University of Texas. Yes. That's going to show some daylight for sure. So, all right, folks. Well, you know, we managed to make this work without Reeve, sort of, for (laughs) for now. Uh, If you have questions or comments, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. As always, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. Uh, And on behalf of Ross, Jim, Julian, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas Talking. Texas Talking. Texas Talking.
I just get rolling with my John Hancock. And I'm like, sign, sign, sign. <laughs> 